Well, good morning. You may have a seat. Um, this morning, we are going to get started talking um, about our, our next thing about holding on to truth this morning. But before we do, let me say this about uh, this, this 5K thing that you guys were hearing about from Pastor Rick. I just want you to know, like, we, we're kind of like the little sister campus. And you know when you're the little sister campus, like, you know when you have older siblings? Like, you always want to, like, show your older siblings, like, you're in. So I just want you to know this, okay? Now, listen. It's not a competition, okay? I'm just kidding. It, it's not a competition. Yeah, so get out there, sign up, and I, whether you can, if, you know, if you have to get pushed in a wheelchair, we will have people push you in a wheelchair on that, on that. Carl has committed to push at least three people on a wheelchair in the 5K. Yeah, he's, he actually, that was part of his 5K app. So, of training, yeah, he just, actually, Carl just finished, right? Your couch to 5K, he graduated, so uh, he and I are running together. I'm going to tie a rope to, his, to him so I can, yeah, I don't, I don't know who's going to be pulling who, but we'll find out. So, anyway, get out there and sign up. Really would love to have you out there together. It's going to be a great time that day. So, n- with no further ado, let's actually talk about what we're going to talk about today. Um, so, you guys have probably endured some, I heard it was rainy here while I was in Ecuador. It was pretty rainy here. There were some floods, and uh, if, if it comforts you at all, I was thousands of miles away in South America, and it was also rainy there. And so it rained the entire time we were there as well. And uh, in here, when it's rainy, right, like things float downstream. Anything that you do not have tied down, if you're near the stream, like it's going to float downstream. In fact, my wife told me that we had some neighbors that were near a stream, and they actually had to, someone had to canoe in and get them because their, their house is actually up on blocks about, like, I don't know, about that high, uh, but the water was up to the bottom of it, was tearing off, like, the siding on the bottom of their house, and so someone had to come in with canoes, get them out, because things were floating downstream. Um, in Ecuador, when it rains a lot, things float down the Andy Mountains onto the roads, and so there are landslides, and you can't get through anywhere. In fact, we were stuck at one point at the top of the Andes, for like six hours waiting for a landslide to get cleared, only find out, okay, it's not going to get cleared today. So we, we found a hotel at the top of the Andes. We stayed overnight, hoping that we would get through the next day, only to find out, yeah, no, the three hours that you drove to here, you're going to have to drive back, and then you're going to have to go the long way to where you're going, which was like, let's say you wanted to go to Pittsburgh, but you went via Tennessee. That was basically what we did. And so, um, so when rain comes, right, things drift, things wash away. And I bet m- many of you know lots of the songs that, you know, we don't love when all that rain comes. We all have songs about it, like Rain, Rain, Go Away. Remember that song from when you were a kid? Yeah? You finished that one, right? Or like uh, there was one that my mom always used to say about um, it's raining, it's pouring. Do you remember that one? Yeah, see, some of you guys know that old man is snoring one, bonked his head on the bed, didn't wake up till morning. I'm not sure why we celebrate him getting hurt and during the rainstorm, but anyway, I remember that as a kid too, because we, sometimes when it rains, we go, man, what is happening? And in our culture, when the rain comes, when things feel like they're drifting away, when things come in our life and we're like, what is going on? And it feels like nothing's anchored down and we are adrift and we are floating, we feel a little bit unsure, a little bit like we're in danger. And the same thing was happening in Colossae. When, when, the Col- when Paul wrote the Colossians, St. Paul was writing to them to let them know, like, listen, there will be tides of culture. There will be arguments. There will be well-crafted things. People will try to lure you this way or that way. They'll say all kinds of things. There's going to be a rush of this or that that's popular or good or 
whatever, but listen. Hold fast to Jesus. Hold tight. Anchor yourself to something secure. That was his message to the Colossians. And it's very appropriate for us today to hold fast to Jesus and all of his love and all that he's done for us. So this morning, that's what we're going to talk about, this idea of holding fast and not being just washed away with the current, drifting away with whatever comes our way, how to get past those obstacles, because there are things that come in our life that impede us. Um, Not just the things from the culture, but things in our life, things that culture tells us and we kind of subside to that impede us and keep us from following Jesus. They distract us from the joyful confidence that God invites us to have in him. So if you'll open up your outline this morning, you can follow along as we talk a little bit about what Paul wants to tell us this morning, what he's telling the Colossians and telling us about how to live in a culture where there's drift and where drift is happening all the time. So the first thing he says is, hold fast, anchor to Christ in you. Paul's first message to the Colossians is, listen, there is some drifting going on, and you need to hold fast and anchor to Christ in you. Now, there's a lot of things that we anchor to, right? I mean, there, there are things all throughout my life that I've anchored to. There are things like, man, I've anchored to my career. Like, man, what is my career going to be? And if I have the right career, I can feel really good about that. And I anchored to that. But then you find out that like, things happen with your career that you didn't expect, don't they? And sometimes your career disappears, or sometimes you get laid off, or sometimes it changes. And you find out, I, I can't anchor myself. Like, that, that wasn't a good thing to anchor to, because that drifted. And then there's other things in your life that you anchor to. Like you might anchor to, like, hey, if I drive the right car or if I have the right house. And then you discover that having the right car or having the right house, it's not fastened down either. It starts to drift. Or you might anchor yourself to, like, your hair and how awesome it is. And then you find out that you don't have it anymore. And so it wasn't a good thing. I'm going to bald guys, right? Yeah, so, okay. Bald power. So... Uh, you've got to anchor to something that will last. And so Paul's encouragement is stop anchoring to stuff on the outside that drifts. Anchor yourself and your inner life so that no matter what happens on the outside, your inner life is anchored in such a way as you are immovable. You can float down. You can be when all of that stuff happens and you are not being moved by it. You are not like thrown off by it because of what Christ is doing in you. This assurance that he has in you. The other day, I was at uh, Messiah College. I was actually working on some messages for August and writing, and I was down by the creek, and they're having a convention right now. It's a uh, convention for Messianic Jews. And so these two gals come down, and they're sitting by the bench, and I get up to leave, and they're like, hey, hey, what, what creek is this? They're just asking some questions about like, things that they didn't know about locally because they weren't from the area. And Well, first they said, what river is this? And I was like, you are definitely not from around here. <laughs> So it was the, I explained to them it was Yellow Breaches Creek and where it flowed to. And, and then they were asking me, so they found out I was a pastor. And so then they were asking me questions. And what was really cool about our part of our conversation was this assurance that we had. No matter what, like I just met these ladies. And in five minutes, we shared a certain assurance. A certain, like I could tell that they were like, man, it's so good to be born of the Spirit. And they're talking about it. And I, I love some of the terms that they were using and because they're just from a little bit different angle of following Jesus than I am. And it was so cool. But we had this assurance. Like they weren't, we weren't afraid of whatever was coming because they were talking about things that were coming and things that are, have already happened in the end times. And I was like, isn't it great that we have this assurance not to fear, not to be afraid when things come our way. And see, this is, This is the whole point of Jesus in us, 
is that we have a certain assurance. I talked with this about my sons the other day. They're kind of coming of age to really get this idea of like, listen, you, you need to get assured of your walk with Jesus. Like, it's not just like, if I'm a good boy, then God won't be out to get me. Like, Jesus has reconciled you. To God. God's not mad at you anymore. He is not out to get you. You don't have to do certain things. You just have to fall in love with him. You just have to like be rest assured that what's on the interior is so much more important than everything on the exterior. Because God wants to give you this assurance that you can know for certain that your future is anchored in a solid place. Sometimes we don't live that way. Sometimes we're kind of more, we doubt it or we we move away from it, or we get distracted by it, or maybe we're just born a skeptic, like Paul was. Paul was kind of a born skeptic. And what he did, you know, even though he lived during the period when Jesus was, was put to death and was resurrected, he would not believe it. He, would, he was totally skeptical about it until he met Jesus himself, until he took a step inward to know Jesus. And that's kind of part of our faith journey. Is you know, when I, when I first met my wife and we were first dating, you know, when you first date someone, you don't you don't have an assurance of exactly how things are going to go down with them, right? You're, you're trying to get it all down. You want to get to know them. And you're being nice to them. But the longer you get to know them, the more faithfulness that you have with each other, the more trust you have with each other. And so no matter where you are in your journey today, what I invite you to do is don't think like, oh, I got to know everything. I got to have this assurance right away. It's not really about that. It's about, you know what? I got to get to know Jesus a little bit better. And the more you get to know Jesus, the more you stand on his promises, the more you see he comes through with them, just like in any relationship, the more assurance you have and the more anchoring, solid anchoring and holding fast that you have. So Paul had the same experience as us. And so he writes to the Colossians out of his own experience of meeting Jesus and being able to, knowing that Jesus is faithful and knowing what the Colossians are going through in Colossians 1.23. He says, but you must continue to believe this truth, that is that Jesus reconciled us, and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away. You can underline that. Don't drift away. Don't drift away. Don't just follow downstream. Don't just go with what everything has happened. Don't drift away from the assurance you received with the good news. Paul says, watch out. Watch out for this drift that happens in our life. There is a drift that happens, and it drifts us away from delighting in what God delights in. It, it, it drifts us away from this celebration of being reconciled to God and being reconciled to others and working that out in our life. Like, these are the things that Jesus died for, that we might know each other, be loved, and experience love with others, and know God, and not think that he's out to get us, and not have suspicions about that, but have an assurance in our relationship with God. No longer afraid of things, but there's a drift that happens. And that drift might be towards, like, busyness. Like, you might have a drift in your life towards busyness. People demand a lot of you. Your job demands a lot of you. Isn't it easy to drift towards busyness instead of focusing on God's kingdom and the good things that God offers? No matter how busy you are, there are some great things right in front of you that God's brought into your life, maybe even through that busyness, that you bring because you're part of the kingdom. It's easy to drift, though, just into busyness. I'm just so busy, and I, I, I can't get things nailed down, and I don't have time to be with Jesus, and I can't really build that relationship. Or it might be easy to drift towards achievement, you know, and productivity. Like, man, if I, if I don't, if I take time to, to really get to know Jesus, if I take time to stand on his promises, man, I, I'm going to let people down, and things aren't going to get done, and so I don't. So I just kind of keep moving through all that. It's easy to drift towards that. Paul says, don't drift. 
hold fast to the truth that the living God himself laid down his life for you, that he might have a relationship with you and fill you and love you. He has an inner life for you that's important and incredible. And in our culture, where there's a lot of things to drift to, where the media would like you to drift every such way, you need to remember and hold on to that one single truth. And so Paul says, the answer to the drift is this, as he goes on and writes in Colossians 1.24, I am glad that when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. See, Paul was writing this from prison, and so he's saying, listen, I'm suffering for you. Like, I, I am glad to speak this gospel. I am glad to preach the good news. I am glad to invite other people into it. And I'll go to prison for it if I need to, because I'm glad to do it that you might know this good news. Because God has, goes on in 25, God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming the entire message of the gospel to you. The message that was keep, kept secret for generations past. Okay, so let's stop for a second. So let's catch you up a little bit on these secrets that were kept for generations past, throughout the Old Testament, okay, before Jesus came, people had kind of signs of like what would happen eventually. They, they had like little ceremonies, like one time a year they would bring in a goat and they would put all the sins on the goat symbolically and they would send it out into the desert as if so God could say, listen, for, I want to forgive all of your sins. They put all the sins on the people and they would send it out in the desert that they might have freedom. And they called that the scapegoat. And you know who that represented? Jesus. And then they would have sacrifices, but those sacrifices, see, they had to do it every year, over and over again, that the people might come back and say, no, I want a relationship with God. But nobody quite knew what that meant. They would talk about the Messiah, but nobody quite knew exactly what they meant. Even the prophets who spoke of it were, they had faith in what God would do, but they didn't quite understand it. And one day, Christ came, and God sent Jesus that we might know that God loves us, that he is into us, that he is not an angry God, he is not out to get us, he is not withdrawn from us, but he is very involved in our lives and loves us. And so God sent Jesus that we might know the secret, that we might be revealed how much Christ loves us no matter what you've done in your past, no matter what kind of relationships you have now, no matter what you're doing in this moment, it doesn't matter. Because Jesus says, I came and I died for that that you might have forgiveness for good, that you might come and know God. And so Paul goes on in verse 27. For God wanted them to know, this is the secret that's been revealed, for God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles. Gentiles is just his way of saying, if you're not Jewish, you're Gentile. So that means us. Okay, so not just for the Jewish people who had a little bit of this all this time, He's saying, now for everybody, God wants everyone to know this, that you can have the riches and glory of Christ. And this is the secret. This is the secret. You underline this and circle it. Christ lives in you. When you surrender your life to to Christ, when you say, you know what, God, I'm not doing it my own. This is who the Colossians were. This is who we got Paul's writing to. It's people who said, you know what, I'm, I'm deciding to follow Jesus. I've I've tried it my way, didn't work so well, I want it his way. I've tried living in fear, I've tried trying to make my own way, I've tried anchoring myself to all these other things, and none of those anchors held. They all gave way, and so now I'm going to anchor myself to Jesus, and I'm going to say, I need you, Jesus. And Paul says, when you do that, here's the secret. 
of living and not drifting. Here's the secret of not just being drifted away by every fear and every, like here's the secret of having assurance and having the power to live. Christ lives in you. The living God lives in you. And get this, this gives you assurance of sharing his glory. When I was talking to those two gals at Messiah the other day, they were Messianic Jews, we were talking about, they were talking about Christian, and we were, we were just talking about like what, she's like, well, there's a lot of churches in this area. I said, there are a lot of churches in there. She's like, it just seems like they're everywhere. I'm like, yeah, it does seem like that, doesn't it? It's like, but you know, sometimes people get a little confused at what it means to be Christian. And they're like, yeah, and all of a sudden, one of this, this gal, and she had this heavy accent, and I loved it. It was like, I can't even quite describe, but it was like, I was like, you know, when you have to kind of lean in to figure out exactly the way someone's saying something, she's like, you must be born of the Spirit. And when that happens, when you're born again and Jesus comes into you, you just know it, don't you? I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what you know. When Jesus lives in you, there is this assurance, and you know it. And even when things go wrong in your life, you know it. And I can't explain it to you that, like, before, it's like that song that we were singing earlier, like, before you knew Jesus, like, it might seem weird and odd that Jesus would do all this, and how could Jesus, like, is it, like, little microscopic Jesus that comes and lives in you, or, like, because my kids used to be, like, well, how's Jesus fit in your heart, you know, like, how's he get in there, like, well, he, like, he shrinks down, and, like, he goes, like, how, what's that look like? When you have it, it is a profound mystery, and that's what Paul describes to us, and he ends this passage in verse 29 he says that's why work and struggle so hard because i am depending on christ's mighty power that works within me when's the last time you experienced a mighty power at work in you because that is what jesus invites you to a mighty power that is at work within you where life is full of possibilities where jesus can do things in you that you never imagined now i know that for most of you like you don't even know that you're alive in the morning until you have that first cup of coffee, right? Like, I, I, don't, I don't know if Jesus is with me, but I don't even know if I'm alive until I get some caffeine in the morning, right? Until I, when you're in the middle of your work week and you're just trying to get through, like, some days it feels a lot like, doesn't it? Like, man, I, I, I know that Jesus is supposed to be alive in me, but I don't even know if I'm alive right now. I sure would like to know that kind of assurance. And Jesus promises, this is a promise from God, that he is alive in you. And that if you call out to him and you'll ask for him, you can live a different kind of life. You can live the life on your own if you want. And, you know, some of you, you've like me, you've experienced that. But I, I'm just telling you from my own experience, it's pretty frustrating. It's pretty lonely. It's pretty powerless. You can feel, like, depressed. You can get sidetracked a lot. But when you live your life with Jesus, and when, not out of duty, not out of, like, I should, but out of this, I'm desperate. I don't want to live my life any other way because it's so good and so rich and so full when I've got Christ in me. Like that changes everything. So what does it look like for Jesus to live in you? When I first came to Jesus in college, I didn't have a lot of friends that were Christians at Penn State, so I was kind of on my own. And uh, I remember thinking like, what, what do I do? Like I... So I just, I just kind of went back to some things that, like, I remember some people growing up told me, like, the Bible's a good place to start. So I would read my Bible, and then when my roommate came back, I would hide it. I thought he'd think I was a nut. Um, turns out I am a nut, but not because I'm following Jesus, just because I am. 
So um, I would read the Bible, but I would read the Bible, and it was the first time really reading the Bible in a way that was like I really wanted to know something. It wasn't just words on a page. It was, it was I was seeking God. And what I didn't know until I discovered this in John, is in John 14 through 16, Jesus makes some promises about when I leave, I'm gonna, here's how I'm going to live in you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to live in you. And I, he has some specific roles in your life. And this is what I experienced as I began to grow closer to Christ, is that the Holy Spirit was there with me. And there's some specific roles, and so I just want to read a few of those roles to you. So in John 14, 16 through 17, some of you know this is like Jesus' discourse on who the Holy Spirit is. He's talking to his disciples, and he's saying, listen, I'm, I'm going to go at some point, and I'm not going to be physically present, but you ought to be actually fans of me not being physically present, because when I go and I'm not physically present, then I cannot just be with you physically. I can be with you in your inner life, interiorly. I can awaken your spirit to new things, and I will send the Holy Spirit to do that channel my life to you. And so he says in verse 16, John 14, 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Another advocate, some translations means counselor. Someone to give you advice. Someone to be on your side. Someone to be for you in a life where there's a lot of drift, and you need that. And he will be with you forever, the spirit of truth. He lives in you, and he will be with you. So, Jesus' first promise, listen, when I go, I'm going to spend the Holy Spirit. And if you surrender your life to me, and you say, I want you in my life, Jesus, he literally sends his Holy Spirit to awaken you and to change you and to fill you. And his Holy Spirit does some specific things. One of them is to be your counselor. And then he goes on in verse 14, chapter 14, verse 26, to say, so the advocate, the advocate, that's the counselor, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, will do what? He'll teach you and he'll remind you. So there's three roles that I discovered that have been so good for me, and this is how Christ lives in us. This is how we work it out, okay? No matter whether, and even if you haven't decided yet to follow Jesus, I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is glad to do this in you if you'll ask him, if you'll pray and say, God, Spirit of God, please help me with this. So first is to counsel us. Now, I discovered pretty early on in life as I was walking with Jesus that kind of like, okay, let's just say that Let's say you needed some advice, and your choices were you could go to the person who was the expert in that area. I mean, they knew what they were talking about, always gave great advice, had a great reputation for it, or you could go to the second best person. Who would you choose? First, right? You go, I want the expert. I was kind of questioning it for a second. I'm like, what's wrong with you people? You're going to go to the second best? What's going on? So, you go to the first best. I thought it was an obvious question. So you, you go to the first best, right? You go to the person who really knew what they were talking about. So when you have something go wrong in your life, when you need advice, who do you go to? Your friend, your spouse, your aunt, your mom, your friend. That's who I used to go to. And then I realized that that was the second best. It's good, but it's second best. And that I could go to God first. And I began to change the way I lived my life. You know, before I sent that email with full frustration to someone, I went to God first. I said, can we work this out first? I'm not even sure I'm seeing this the way I should see it. Will you help me work this out? Will you give me some advice on how to handle this situation? You will be surprised 
I promise you, you'll be surprised that if you seek God first, how much better your relationships with everybody else go, how much better the situations in your life go. And sometimes that happens through an aha. Sometimes it happens through an impression. Sometimes it happens through your reading the scripture and all of a sudden something jumps out at you. Sometimes God sends someone your way. But first you seek him. First you say, hey, will you counsel me? And the second way then is to teach us. And often I've heard people say, like, well, I don't read the Bible because I don't understand it. It's overwhelming to me. I get it. It's overwhelming to me, and I do it every, like, this is part of my job, right, to come and to serve you this way. I went to seminary. It's still overwhelming to me. Do you know why? Because the God of the universe wrote it. And I'm a pretty simple guy. So, of course, it's going to be a little overwhelming. But that's why Jesus said, I give you a promise to send my Holy Spirit to teach you, to be your teacher. When you don't understand something, don't settle for I don't understand it. Ask God, will you help me understand it? Now, you might not, he might not answer in 30 seconds, okay? Sometimes he does. Sometimes you have to stay with that. Go, God, will you teach me? I really want to know what this means. I really want to understand it. And I promise you that if you'll stay with it, God will teach you. God will answer you. You will understand. And it will be good. And the last thing he does is he reminds us. This is how Christ lives, continues to live in us through his Holy Spirit. He reminds us of the life of Christ and what Christ teaches. I have got a ridiculously, ridiculous, ridiculous memory. Like, not ridiculously good, like ridiculous, ridiculous. Like, like, people, like my, people tell me things, and I forget 30 seconds later. I can't keep things in my head. And it's an unfortunate way that, you know, God kind of smiles, I think, like, I love that about him. Look how I designed him. He can't remember anything. It's fantastic. He's like the absent-minded professor. He's a great guy to watch. It's like a sitcom in my life. And so, like this morning, I walked around. I, I, every Sunday morning, I come, and I have this with me, right? I'm walking around before the services, and I'm doing stuff. And I'll sit it down someplace, and then I'll walk around for 10 minutes looking for where I put it. Like, I have no idea. It's an Easter egg hunt every Sunday morning for me to look for this thing. This is the way I'm designed. So, some of you, like, you might feel that way a little bit too, like with Scripture. Like, how do I remember what Jesus taught and how I remember what the right thing to do is? You ask, Jesus, will you remind me? And you listen, you be attentive to the inner life. You anchor yourself to the fact that God's promised to remind you, and he does, over and over and over again. And every time it helps you, you thank him for it. You say, thank you for that. So I want you to take a few minutes, and I just want you to sit with this idea of Jesus wants to give you assurance. He wants you to live differently. Maybe you have drifted for a lot of different reasons in your life. Maybe you've drifted because people got you upset. Maybe you've been drifting because of the cultural media blowing up this past couple weeks. Maybe you've drifted because you're busy. Maybe you've drifted because you're worrying. Maybe you drifted because you're afraid of something. It's time to settle back in and say, even maybe for the first time, I am tired of living my life adrift And I would like Jesus to be the anchor spot in my life to live with the kind of assurance that he promises. So I just want you to sit during this next video and consider what am I doing to welcome and nurture nurture the life of Christ in me? What, What am I asking of God and what am I not? And just say a prayer and invite God into your life and however he's inviting you to respond this morning. Let's i
meant to live life alone. We're never meant to live life adrift. So you invite us to live life with you. And so we say yes. We repent of when we found ourselves adrift for whatever reasons that we were drifting, whatever reasons that we were frustrated or afraid or worried. Lord, call us back to you. Be alive in us. Change us. Give us access to your power and help in everything, every moment of life to never be lived apart from you. In Jesus' name. So Paul, um, in his wisdom, coaches the Colossians. Christ is in you. This is a profound mystery and a secret, and I invite you to live that out. But he also says that, listen, Jesus didn't just come to reconcile us with God. He came to reconcile us with each other. And that's part of our journey. And so Paul says, listen, hold fast, anchoring to Christ in you, and hold fast, anchoring to Christ in us. That this is not just... Uh, one thing, like just about you or me. This is about us. This is about not just your thing, but our thing and what we have in each other. So Paul says, hold fast, anchoring to Christ in us. Now, we can live a very, we're Americans, so we're pretty individualistic, aren't we? Like pull yourself up by your bootstraps, get things done, live on your own, like get it all done. And Paul was the same way. Paul was actually a very, like, get it done kind of a guy. And yet, he learned through being in prison, through all the suffering he had to go through, through the fact that life was a little bit more out of control than he, he expected, that we need each other. That Christ in us binds us together in a certain good and welcoming way. And so Paul says in chapter 2, in verse 2, he says, I want them to be encouraged. I want everyone basically to be encouraged. And I want them to be knit together by strong Ties of love. So there's Paul saying, listen, I haven't even met you guys yet. I'm writing you this letter, but I've never met you. And I want you to be tied together by strong ties of love, by this incredible confidence, because I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself, because in him lie the, all the hidden, hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge so that no one can deceive you with any well-crafted argument. See, in Colossians, there was a, there was a common place for 
philosophers to have well-crafted arguments, for people to have a lot of philosophy about a lot of different things, about how you should do things and what you should believe and this and that and the other thing. But Paul says, listen to one thing. Christ in you is a profound mystery that works. Christ in you will change your life as you seek him. And Christ in us binds us together in a way that is particularly amazing. And I just came back from Ecuador, and though I don't, I speak about 10 words of Spanish, and those 10 words aren't even very good. So people often turn their head like this when I say them. And so, you know, gracious and dinada and whatever. So I, I'm not a good Spanish speaker, but here's the thing. I met people who were following Jesus. And almost immediately, because we both had this love of Christ, we had a love for each other. We had a bond that was almost immediate. And I have traveled all over the world, and I have met people in so many different places. And immediately, I know when someone is like, they've made a commitment to Christ because there's just a love that exudes from them and a bond that you feel almost immediately with them. And this is what Paul invites us to, to live out together because it is uncommon in our world. And it works, and it's what actually matters. So Paul says, listen, there's a lot of well-crafted arguments, but the one argument that we make is that Christ died for us and gave us forgiveness and has reconciled us to each other and to God in this incredibly mysterious and this incredibly real way. And so God invites us into it. Paul invites us into it to be a, to be a community that is centered on Jesus, to be bound together in that important way. There are a lot of things to drift away from in life, and there's a lot of ways that you can live your Christianity by yourself. And you know what? I know a lot of people who do. They live their Christianity kind of by themselves and on their own. And you can, you can do that because you can love God without being in community with other believers. You can. You can love God. You can worship God without being in community with other believers. Like you can have that experience with God. You can, you can learn about God without being in community with anybody else. But there are some things that you can never do outside of community with other fellow Christians, people who are following Jesus. You can't really know if you love other people, can you? I mean, you can say that you love someone, but you know the difference between saying you love someone and loving someone? It's deal with their idiosyncrasies, deal with their faults, and then you'll know if you love them, right? Like, put them in your house for a while, and you'll know if you really love someone. Because that loving is not just a feeling, right? It's an action. I choose to love my teenagers. They don't always choose back to love me that day, but I choose to love them. We choose to love each other. We act that out every single day. You can't do that outside of community. That's the only way to test whether you really love people. You can't serve other people in the body of Christ without being in community. You can't. It's not possible. You have to have someone to bow a knee to to say, I'm glad to do that for you. It doesn't work outside. You can't see your blind spots without other people. Like If you don't have other people in your life, it's like living life without a mirror. You don't really know how you look. It's those other people who are following Jesus with you that help you see those things. And you can't dismiss all the, truth, all the mistruths that you believe about yourself, the things you doubt about who you are and how God made you, the things that you're like, mm, I, I, think that, ah, I don't think I'm really loved in this way, or I don't think I'm really likable here, or I don't think I'm really good enough there. Like, you can't have those things redeemed without community because Christ works in others to help redeem that. Here's what I mean by that. So when we go on a missions trip, we have this ceremony. It's actually one of the things that I think people begin to miss most 
when they're not together because it creates an experience of the kingdom the way it was meant to be. And we call it, it's called the bead ceremony. It's like this affirmation time. And there's these beads that we give out, and they're all different colors, and they mean different things. And each of those beads is kind of a, a way of saying, I saw Jesus in you. And if, you, if you've ever been on a trip, you know what I'm talking about. Like those times are sweet, and there's emotions in those times. And whenever we, we go to affirm each other, we, we just take a knee in front of the person, and we look them in the eye, and we say, we talk to them about what, how we saw Jesus in them, how, how God is working in them. And over and over and over again, it builds confidence in people and helps them dismiss the lies and the mistruths, the doubts they have about themselves because they go, you really saw Jesus in me in that? You really, I really actually encouraged you today? I really, I, you saw me serve that. I know that was good, and God did that in me. Like over and over it does it. And this is what we ought to have with each other. This is what Christ invites us to, to experience together, is affirmation of each other. And this, this encouraging of us following Jesus, that Christ lives in you, but you get to fan into flame in other people's lives, Christ in them. And that is a distinct and rare privilege that comes with such joy and such goodness. So don't miss that opportunity, whether it's on a missions trip or whether it's in your family or whether it's when you serve with others or when you come here. Don't ever miss the opportunity to fan into flame what Jesus is doing in someone else because it's what God wants for us. Listen, we, it's easy to not do that. Like I come home from a trip and it's easy to like just kind of skim by that because now I'm busy and now life has taken over and now there's all these things. I remember uh, it was a long time ago. I used to have a boat, speedboat, and I remember going down to Long Level, um, which is on the Susquehanna. If you know, know where Long Level is, there's actually the PPNL, like hydroelectric dam is on Long Level. And so we were down there and we were in the boat and uh, we, were, we, we had go- gone and done some things and skied a little bit and then we were just kind of floating, just kind of drifting downstream. And uh, we got in view of the dam, and we decided, well, I better start up and go upstream again, except that the boat wouldn't start. So, like, the more I turned it over, you know, and then you're in that place where you're, like, it's not starting, and the battery's starting to go dead. So, you know, you, you only have, like, four or five more starts. Like, how do you, you know, how do you plan to get this thing to start? And uh, I don't know if you know this, but boats don't have brakes. And so you, you don't just, like, you know, you can't just, oh, there's the dam. And the dam is, like, 60-foot drop over. And so we're kind of in there, and... And uh, it's not starting, and the guys that are in there with me are like, well, shouldn't we throw the anchor over? And I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea, except I forgot the anchor. And so we were drifting downstream without an anchor, and uh, it's a bit tenuous, you know? Like, you're a little bit, like, freaked out that there's a dam coming up on you pretty closely, and you're drifting towards it. And there's, you're really pretty helpless about it. And so we finally waved down some boaters, and they came to our rescue. They saw that we were panicked, screaming like little girls, and they hauled us back upstream. But my point is, you can live life a lot like that. Forget that you have an anchor. Forget that there's a way for you to stay anchored on your inner life so no matter what's coming your way, you have an assurance and a confidence. And that is Christ in you. And that is Christ in us. So don't ever forget that. Walk with Jesus and know that God wants to be in you no matter what comes in the current of culture, no matter who tells you to be angry about what, you are anchored to Jesus who died for all of us and invites people to know him 
and to be reconciled to him and to live a life as God designed it, which is beautiful and good. And he invites you to the same thing. So here's, here's my challenge to you this morning. If you'll pull out your response card, I want to give you this challenge. I want you to ask yourself this question. Maybe there's a specific way that you want to ask, answer it and ask for prayer. Maybe you'll just say, yeah, I, I'll, I'll start asking that question this week, today, in this moment. Whatever it is that you're facing, you feel like, you know, I'm drifting and I need, I need to do something about that. Ask yourself this question, how would Jesus approach that? How would Jesus approach it? Like, would he panic over it? Would he, like, I'm going to go for, to Jesus for advice. Do I need to be taught by Jesus? Like, how would Jesus approach this? What do you need to, to figure out? How would Jesus approach this? No matter what you're facing or what you're frustrated by, how would Jesus approach this? Ask yourself that question. And maybe you don't know the answer today. Maybe that will be your prayer request. How would Jesus approach this? Everything you hear this week, every frustration you feel this week, every time you sense that there's a drift from the living Christ, you ask the question, Jesus, how do you want me to approach this? How, what do you want to do in me? How do you want me to approach this? And God will begin to change your life over that because you will be anchored to God, to the Holy Spirit. Don't forget that God promises to give you that, those answers to the Holy Spirit. John Stumbo, the president of the Alliance, um, just a while back he wrote an article that I read, and he said the Holy Spirit's been given to us for a reason because the Spirit of God is calling the people of God back to the Son of God. And that's what he wants to do for you. But you've got to ask. you just got to ask, what do you want me to do? Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? How would you approach this situation? Will you return to him this morning? Will you hold fast? Because that's my prayer for you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, this morning we pray, no matter what drift we have in our life, no matter how far we've gone, no matter what's calling us to pay attention to other things, we ask that you would be alive in us, that you would again give us the assurance. And maybe even for the first time, Jesus, this morning, someone here wants to say, Jesus, I make this commitment to you. Will you live in me? Will you guide me? Will you lead me? Will you forgive me? I'm just taking my first step with you. And maybe for the hundredth time, some of you want to say, like, I, Jesus, I need again. I've drifted, and I want to return to you. So we pray, Lord, Lord of our longing, we're desperate for you. We have hopes and deep hopes in our heart, and our hearts ache for you. We ache to belong. We ache to have, find the beauty in our lives. We ache to have the love that will satisfy our hearts. We ache to have peace in the brokenness that's around us. We ache to be at home and to feel at home with you. So we reach out, Lord Jesus, and we say, be alive in me, be alive in us. Help me to let down the walls of my life and experience that today, Jesus. In Jesus' name.